Welcome to the very first episode of Transcending Comics, a comic book podcast where we'll be focusing on trans representation in comic books, manga, and webtoons, both on panel and behind the scenes. Our guest today is no stranger to comics or podcasting. She's the Ignatz and Prism Award-winning writer of Trans Girls Hit the Town, Pseudoslut Transmission, and Dream Eater. Though she first caught my eye with her latest comic, LSBN, an amazing little indie book about two trans gals that fall in love in a giant robot. She was also a co-host of the We Should Be Friends podcast, along with several other notable queer and trans comic writers and publishers. With no further ado, I'd like to give a warm welcome to today's guest, Emma Jane. Welcome to the show, Emma. Wow, hello. Thanks for having me. That makes me sound so cool. I'm just a nerd, though. I stumbled on LSBN just a couple weeks ago in the shop and took it home, read it, and I was like, yeah, this person is awesome. I need to see if I can get them down for an interview. Oh, thank you. What's weird is that the book is smaller than I anticipated. Like, I chose the dimensions, but it turned out to be just like a smaller dimension of my book than I thought, and I kind of love it. Was there ever a plan to make it like a full-size comic? I think. Well, full-size, do you mean, like, dimension-wise or length-wise? Yeah, like a traditional, like, issue or graphic novel of, like, I don't know, Marvel or DC stuff. Nah, that was never really in the cards. It was always going to be a short comic. Like, the last time I did a long-form thing was, oh, man, maybe 2017 is when Dream Eater came out. It's just kind of the reality of having a full-time job and making comics not as that job. Now, for the listeners that aren't familiar with your work already, how would you describe your comics and writing style so far? It has varied. <laughs> I did get well-known for some more like slice-of-life stuff, a desire to depict the everyday lives of trans women specifically, because, you know, that's me. I'm trans. <laughs> uh, but I have been dipping my toes into sci-fi a little more recently. It's also what my next thing is going to be, but it's also pretty different from LSBN. There's something about just kind of examining the mundane lives of everyday people in sci-fi settings that I find very compelling and fun. So that's kind of where I'm going lately. I'll definitely be picking your ear about what's coming next later, but I'll uh, shift focus to the book of the hour. I know you've been selling LSBN at cons quite frequently, so how would you pitch LSBN just in passing to a con goer? Oh, wow. I should really have this answer ready, <laughs> considering the number of shows I've been to. I guess the short pitch is just like, hey, lesbian romance mech comic. If that isn't enough to pitch you on it, then like, I don't think it's for you. <laughs> I think that's all you need to know. Yeah, that's all I got from the front cover and the quick bio on the back. And sure enough, I was like, yes, that's me. This is what I make podcasts for. I need need this book in my life. How have I not heard about this till now? So with this being your first big shift to science fiction from your more sliced life stories in the past, I've been really curious about like what the origins of this particular story idea were. This was very much a thing that happened in like autumn 2020 i believe i was just wrapping up work on the second short trans girl short comic and i wanted to make something fun i mean not that my other work isn't fun but just something purely frivolous 
That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a bad pitch for someone to uh, pick up the book, you know, this frivolous little book. But it was very much a thing for fun that emerged after um, I watched Neon Genesis Evangelion for the first time. And mm. I know I am the last person on the planet to see it. But anyway, in End of Evangelion, there's the little bit where everyone's... What does it go again? There's like doubles of people or it's like the part where everyone's exploding while the world is Mm. ending yeah everyone turns into goo (laughs) yeah the gooification um Mm. i started calling it when when shinji souped the soup (laughs) and he turned everyone into soup but basically there's just like this brief moment where one of the random narrative employees engineers like reveals that she's been in love with ritsuko this whole time i think it's ritsuko Man, I should mm. really nail down the story. But I'm like, why isn't this show about them? I know, actually, no, I don't want Evangelion to be different. I really like Evangelion, but why isn't it about them? Mm. So, I don't know. I, I just kind of wrote that as a fun little, not fanfic thing, but kind of close. And I'm usually a deeply, deeply pessimistic person. But I I force myself to have things, have happy endings frequently just as like an exercise to myself. It's certainly appreciated and for diverging from Evangelion, that, that's happy endings for you. And I do but... have like this dream comic in the pipeline that is me wanting to make other people feel how I felt watching End of Evangelion. It's never going to happen. It's like way mm. too long. I do not have time for it. But uh, Yeah, side tangent, but have you seen the reboot films of Evangelion? Oh, oh, fucking excellent until the yeah. last one, which I hated. Oh, I was all for the series getting a happy ending. So like, I, I kind of liked the last one, but that third one was one of the first films I saw uh, after my egg cracked, like even had a ex come over and we were watching it. This was where it like finally hit me like, oh, the the robot, it's all just about being trans or all about being queer. I get it now. <laughs> this is why people like Evangelion and that plus like I, I will go on record saying Evangelion 3.0 has the greatest bisexual piano scene in all of media. I've yet to see that be topped. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, and there's the classic Shinji gets in the boob suit. That's great stuff. Mm, they even put him in a collar in that one. Like, this this uh, is peak trans girl media right here. I don't think there's a single piece of media in existence that needs to be discussed less at this point. Neon Genesis Evangelion. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to like get into my qualms with the ending. I, I just, man. No, I just said we don't need to talk about Evangelion anymore. I'm not going to yeah. do this. We're going to I mean, I have on. a whole show dedicated to mechs and tokusatsu-inspired things, so we can we can revisit this. Because I've before I came out on the show, I was thinking about like doing a whole thing incorporating Evangelion and transness. So we can revisit this topic someday. I'd be happy to have you back just for that. Okay. It's really interesting because my feelings about Evangelion are largely not related to transness. So, like, I totally get the read. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not going to deprive anyone of that. And I mean, it isn't hard to to make a case for it either. Mm-hmm. Not that artistic intent necessarily matters. But mm-hmm. now, 
with the intention being to focus on these like side characters or the smaller characters in a bigger world, the robots, were there ever plans to tell like still a larger story about the conflict between the monsters and the robots or the building of the robot? I would say no. It was pretty early on that I was like... I just thought it would be really funny if there was a conflict that never happened Hmm. and there's an existential crisis of like, okay, we made this giant robot. It's almost done, but we don't need to like kill anything anymore. That was the humor of that was the, Hmm. the big inspiration for it. However, man, I do have this outline for, I guess, a sequel to LSB and that probably also isn't going to happen. Aww. Yeah, it's like ugh, concept is extremely fucking funny to me, but at the end of the day, it's like I want to make less straightforward work, I guess. Uh, LSBN is a very straightforward and I wouldn't say psychologically complex story mm. as much as I do love it. I hope I'm not shit talking my book too much. Mm-mm. It's very good. People should buy it. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, if this may never see the light of day, can we at least get the premise of this potential follow-up? If it ever happens, forget this. You never heard anything. Uh, hmm. So I was going to kind of have a, a classic kind of sequel romance thing where like the two protagonists from LSBN are... Okay, the classic part is not that they're both working in an Antarctic bunker. The classic part is that, like, oh, they're both so busy with work and they don't have much time to be together. And the conceit is that Polyakov is being pulled into these secret meetings with the character in LSBN who eventually cracked the language of the Colossi. Hmm. And she wants Polyakov to work on this secret project with her that she can't tell anyone about. And you find out the whole reason that she tried to understand their language is because she kind of fell in love with one of the Colossi. (laughs) And she wants Polyakov to design a robot that will let her have sex with one. (laughs) And I'm a coward. That's not true. I would love to make it, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Ah, that... The world of art is poorer for it, should that book never see the light of day. I Like, we get new kaiju movies, new Power Rangers and Kamen Riders Ultraman every year. No one's done that with giant robots and monsters yet that I'm aware of. Well, there's gotta be. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that at this point in human history, every imaginable kind of porn you could ever want has already been created and you have to find it yourself. I mean, I don't think I want to ever look it up because, like, I don't want it to have undue influence on this comic that I'm going to make. Mm-hmm. But it's gotta be out there. There's so many monster fuckers out there. Yeah, but is there the trans lesbian version of it, though? And that's that's the important distinction for me. I'm sure I can find giant robots fucking giant monsters. That has to have been done. But the trans lesbian version of it? Mm, I don't think so. I think trans lesbians are the people most likely to have made something like that. But that's a critical work. Critical work hmm. not being done in this industry. See, so going off the final page of the book uh, with the bouquet of flowers and 
you know, the robot being called Unit Saffron. I think I was holding out hope that this was some allusion to like, oh yeah, next of course they're gonna make some kind of polyamorous combiner robot with other queer mechs built around the world or something like that. Interesting. That that actually is not something I considered, but like, mm. oh, that definitely is not the direction I would go. There's a... Uh... Oh, there, there was going to be some poly stuff in the second one, but I'm not going to, like, say everything about it. Yeah. There has to be some mystery, even though I definitely dropped the best part. You've uh, you've planted the seeds to grow the demand, so we'll be there when book two comes out. Oh, no. Okay. Now, the whole war with the kaiju being solved by a linguist, was this an intentional homage to Arrival? No, it's actually wild that I've never seen Arrival. Um, oh, there's man. I really should watch that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. There's actually a few. Well, there's like one specific thing that I intentionally avoided while making LSBN because I didn't want to be influenced by it, and that was the anime Shimon. Are you familiar hmm. with it? I'm not. It is such a wild ass show. I don't know if it's as good as its ideas are, but it's definitely interesting. So I, I stumbled upon it because I was just looking up different eerie anime to watch, and Shimon caught my attention because it explicitly dealt with women piloting. They aren't mechs, they're more like ships, but it's also the kind mm. of thing where they had to be piloted in pairs, and someone had the just enormous brain idea it's like well i mean obviously these machines are powered by girls kissing of course and i was like well okay i gotta see what the hell this is all about and that turns out to be like one of the least interesting aspects of it weirdly enough so how do you spell this one shimon oh it's uh s-i-m-o-u-n Purely for research purposes and nothing else yeah i don't think it's ever been officially localized I, I only mm. was able to find a fan sub. It is, I don't know if it's so much complicated as there's a lot of characters and concepts to the point where like at the end of the first episode of the fan sub, there's like a few screens that are just like kind of glossaries and guides <laughs> for you to keep track of everything. And the music completely rips ass. Mm. Uh, some of the flight suit designs are questionable, but uh the thing that is probably the most interesting about it is that it is about this like war going on with this kind of sky ship based theocracy at war with some of the people living on the ground. And the ships are the things that are called the Shimon, and they have to be piloted by like two priestesses. Mm. And the idea is that everyone in the world is born as a woman and when you come of age you go to this fountain and you have to decide whether or not to be a man or a woman but regardless of what you do you are no longer able to pilot the ships and i don't remember if it's for like cultural reasons or like you physically become unable to but probably the wildest aspect of it is that there's still like all these aspects of patriarchy in the society anyway like at one point one of the characters like i think i'm going to choose male just so i can get like you know a better paying job or like these characters are 
in love and they're like, I'm going to choose to be male so we can be together. Mm. So it's this kind of thing where it's like, I don't think the show really examines that weird inconsistency in a really meaningful way. The point where it just feels like it has a lot of interesting ideas that it leaves on the table that desperately, desperately makes me wish it was written by a trans person. Mm. So it's definitely an interesting thing to experience. All right. Well, if it hasn't had a proper Americanization, uh, I think it's a pretty free game for inspiration. Okay. I Man, I would love to make the Shimon that should exist, but I again, there's no time. Now, I, I had to ask, uh, the acronym of LSBN, we just get a quick shot in the background of uh, the definition of land-based subterranean beast neutralizer. How long did it take for you to come up with an acronym to fit LSBN? Uh, like 10 seconds. Oh, dang. I, I've spent an irres- not irresponsible, I would say inadvisable amount of my life just like coming up with asinine acronyms for things. It's like, it's not even comedy. It's just a stupid compulsion. My brain is just a bad idea factory. I mean it lovingly, but it really is. It's horrible for brainstorming. Whenever I like need, when I'm, when I'm in a group and I need to think of an actually good idea, I just, my brain goes directly for the least useful, I don't want to say meme suggestion, but kind of. I was born to find the acronym for LSBN. Also, why did you think the acronym came first? <laughs> I, a wild guess, I suppose. Yeah, uh, it just seemed so thematic that I figured the acronym came before the mech. Yeah, okay, you're right. But still, <laughs> and the fact that the actual thing it stands for bigger jumps up in the book, maybe is a hint that the acronym came first. No, that... The brain that's not built for group projects, or at least useful contributions to them. We see all these aspects of both of our main characters, like, let's see, the the line that I feel like characterized it most, that I related to a little too hard, of a, I've misread a lot of social interactions, and I'm an idiot, but hopefully a desirable idiot. Like, my friends got a pretty good kick out of that, and I was wondering if, like, them being bad with their people skills, obsessive with their interests, struggling with jokes. Like, was this meant to hint that these characters might be on the spectrum or just, like, relatably quirky? Uh, I guess that wasn't an explicit intent. It was definitely, um, I don't know. I just feel that way. That particular line of the book, that was what I was using to pitch this to other people. And I think it worked. That almost needs to be somehow crafted into a tagline for this. A book for desirable idiots. Yeah, a book for desirable idiots. By desirable idiots for desirable idiots. We've talked a little bit about like some of the anime influence, at least, or some of the similar ideas to this book. But a lot of the designs in... The comic really stood out to me, like, especially when it came to the world and, like, the way the buildings are constructed. Even, uh, like, Unit Saffron itself or the outfits and uniforms to the pilots. Like, what were some of your biggest visual designs for the book and the world you've built in here? Oh, man. I'm really just gonna go my whole ass here with the exact stereotype. A lot of this stuff came from, in my youth... Drawing Bionicle fan art, I think. 
<laughs> yeah, we're hitting all the tropes this episode. We're wow. hitting all the tropes. I didn't think I hit as many of them as I do, but you know, I was a BZ power kid. You know how it is. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so that was a, definitely a part of it. I don't think I can draw a robot without that wishing through a little bit. Uh, but also visually, I think the artist pseudonym Jones is. Man, I want to crib from her so much more than I do. Um, <laughs> she actually had a guest spot in my short comic that came up before this. And man, I can't believe the amount of cool people I, I convinced to work with me. Mm. She has this really, man, how would you say it? Everything is very funky and around and soft and appealing in this way. It's like, I want to draw this static objects that look as tasty as pseudonym jones's just random objects mm. like there's this one comic where you see the contents of one of her character's purses and it's just like random stuff like lipstick whatever you have in a purse but all of the objects are so i'm going to use the same adjectives again just round and chunky and very peeling i want to suck on them like hard candy i want to suck that lipstick i will say i think you've succeeded in some aspects in the comic self like i mean unit saffron is maybe the first mech i've seen that i want to cuddle Aww. that really makes her stand out yeah she's missing a lot of like pointy edges hmm. i remember first showing her to my girlfriend and she's like i'm like did you fucking draw a mech with a sports bra <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a point where I wanted to make a big boob map, but I didn't want her to have like a flat chest. You know how it goes? Hmm. Yeah, a tasteful amount of mecha breast. Mecha breast. Yeah, I've, part of it also um, came from kind of a scope perspective in that I wanted a mech that was complicated enough to not not look like a machine, but not so complex that drawing it was going to be absolutely miserable. Mm. Because even for a comic that's like 80 pages, you're still drawing this robot a lot. And as fun as it is to draw robots, they're kind of time-consuming to draw. I like that about this, though. Like, I feel like most modern mechs have kind of lost some level of simplicity. And that's like everyone's favorite super robots from like the 60s and beforehand are just you know, big soft robot boys. They're good. They're adorable. Also, I feel like, man, I'm retroactively making this point. I'm not going to claim this is brilliant world building or anything. Well, I don't know. I feel like you wouldn't want something so externally complicated because you have to clean this thing. Mm. Mechs are going to get dirty. Yeah, one guy with the power washer can probably handle unit saffron. Yeah, not with all the little nooks and crannies on a Gundam, though. No, no, no. Are you... Are you telling me that you're going to try to deep clean Ariel with a hose and a prayer? You're not going to do it. You need a bunch <laughs> of guys up in there. Now, speaking of the early drafts of these characters, the back of the book has an unused Colossus concept art. The, the sexy three-headed one. Yeah. When the story was in that phase of development, was there any intention to, like, get the sexy colossi involved as, like, an actual character, give him some level of speaking role? Or would they have just taken the same couple of panels uh, that we see other kaiju used in the book? 
I don't know, unfortunately. It was from a point in like the design process that was purely a visual thing. Mm. The Yeah, you see the Evangelion quite a bit in that one. Yeah. I few of them I did end up designing for the book. I worried they might look too much like Pokemon. Especially like uh, the owl one. I'm like, mm. surely there must be a Pokemon that is just this by now. I feel like at a certain point, like, Pokemon can't get mad and neither can their fans. Like, if you've made over, like, 2,000 Pokemon designs at this point, eventually all things are going to look like a Pokemon out there. Okay, I think I'm not asking for your permission. I'm just doing this live, Mm. on air. I'm going to pull up a list of all owl Pokemon Mm. to find out if, if I totally cribbed this. Owl Pokemon. I... Haven't seen the depressed ice owl Pokemon, so I don't. I think you're in the clear, at least for that one. Okay, the the International Pokedex Wiki only lists Hoot Hoot and Noctowl. That's bullshit. Rowlet isn't even in here. No one can be trusted. I right, see. So, so even if you had done your homework, some of these things can't be avoided. That's true. Looks like there might just be the. F- this is compelling audio. I can only imagine. Okay, let's move on. As far as inspirations go, with her helmet and bike design and some level of the cityscapes, I see a bit of Akira in a little bit of the world design here. And while you didn't go with the full Akira slide, when Kyoko wrecks her bike, the immediate image following looks like what would actually happen if someone tried an Akira slide. Was Akira at all anything among the influences for the book, or is that all just all future bikes kind of look like Akira? The thing is... With the bike, I was definitely trying to design what I remember this one by Uncle Set being when I was a kid. And uh, was this the Throwbots phase of Bionicles? This was. Oh man, I'm gonna pull these names out. It was the Takanuva set where mm. he had that like weird hover bike thing, and I looked back, and it does not look very much like my thing at all. So I don't know what I was going on. That like rear, I don't know what you would call it. Like the rearmost part of the bike above the wheel. It's like, I know, I know a biotical part that I cribbed that from. But otherwise. Mm. I, I see it now. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard to not see. Uh, it's, it is interesting looking back how much like I probably subconsciously did bionicle stuff in here because I mean, I do fit that stereotype, but I haven't thought about it in at least a decade. (laughs) Actually, wait. Oh my gosh, Unit Saffron's, like, thighs and stuff. I'm a fraud. I pillaged ruthlessly from Lego Bionicle. Yeah, well, I don't think Lego currently cares enough about that franchise to come after you for it. And someone's got to carry the torch of big, sexy robots in If that means you're borrowing liberally from Bionicle, then so be it. Yeah, if that's just how it has to be. Someone's got to do the work. Now, as far as publishing your comics goes, I noticed that LSBN was kind of a jump from your previous publisher, from Diskette Press to Silver Sprocket. Yeah. I'm curious what the publishing process has looked like and how how that process has differed between the two. So, with Diskette, it was incredibly different because it's literally local to where i live um it is run by one of my friends it's my friend decided to get a resale machine and started printing comics on it and 
more stuff has been added along the way, but it was very much just like kind of a homegrown kind of thing. And mm. the reason I ended up reaching out to Silver Sprocket was, well, A, Silver Sprocket rules. They have so many good comics. I feel like Silver Sprocket is putting out all the best trans mask comics right now. Yeah, I noticed that quite a bit on their site when I was like, oh, what else has Silver Sprocket done? Oh, a lot of stuff that might come in handy for the podcast. Awesome. Man, Chromatic Fantasy. Probably the best comic I've read all year. Hot damn. What a good book. That one's from them as well? Yeah. I'm not usually into the kind of thing where a comic is just someone who wanted to draw their OCs a lot, but this book is the exception in every way. It's just so... It's so inspired, and the author just wanted to draw these guys so much, and it's so funny, and the art is unbelievable. Now, I'm looking at this right now, and yeah, I'm loving the coloring work here, and you saying it's the best one you've read this year is a pretty high endorsement, so I'll be, I'll be looking into Chromatic Fantasy. It's a good one. Right, the whole, the whole thing with Silver Sprocket, what we were actually talking about. Yeah, Disquette is currently in kind of a weird place that was part of it there's just been some problems they had to move studios twice now because of weird conditions the current studio has flooded like twice it's it's pretty rough i had a really great time working with them but future of their stuff is kind of unclear so i wanted to reach out to silver sprocket because they definitely have more publicity, I would say. They're still just a small publisher. It's not like working with Big Two or anything like that, but they're at so many comic shows throughout the year. They actually have like a social media presence, and that's all stuff that I don't like doing. I'm a very private person, and I, I hate on social media, even though you should definitely follow me on social media. I'm going to show that. Yeah, and where can people find you on social media? I'm going to start making accounts, uh, not Twitter things, but all the handles everywhere should have just changed to Emma Jane Comics, one word. And mm. that's Jane with J-A-Y-N-E. Thinking about starting co-host. My girlfriend loves co-host. Apparently there's a lot of homosexuals over there. It's good to see. Okay, co-host is a new one for me. I know Threads is the obvious one that I feel the need to get just out of spite toward Elon Musk. So we'll see. I just, I don't want to hop to another thing that's owned by Facebook. Meta, mm -hmm. I guess. I'm sorry for dead naming Meta. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, I got Instagram. I'm mm. not going to claim that I'm not currently sticking one hand into the fire, but I also don't want to stick both hands in the fire either. Hmm. Privacy's already dead. We're all screwed. Hi, everyone. Follow me on social media. In researching your work for this episode, this was the first time I came across someone publishing their comics to itch.io, oh. and since then I've found that that's more common than I previously expected. As someone who's like an aspiring creator and looking to get comics online... How do you feel about itch.io as a platform and what that's done for your work? I think itch has been really good for me in that there's a lot of flexibility just with 
you can kind of set the pricing and do sales however you want, which I don't think is unique, but I don't know. There's just very little hassle in putting mm-hmm. stuff up there, especially if you're not uploading executable files, like if you're putting video games up there. You just slap some PDFs up there and you can sell them, and it's really convenient, especially because I don't know where like the future of digital comics is going to go anyway. Uh, I was, I mean, I was never deeply into comicsology, just because like, ah, I don't want to mess with an Amazon thing. And the two times I tried to buy comics on it, it was weirdly confusing. But yeah, I haven't really had complaints about itch so far. Honestly, it's been great for researching creators since like, for now 1015 bucks, I can usually get PDFs of most of a creator's work, or at least their big stuff. And yeah, yeah, I think anything else I'd be dealing with all kind of retail pricing and tracking down old issues. So yeah, I'm I'm liking itch so far. Yeah. And again, I don't know what the cut is on other platforms, but the cut seems pretty reasonable to me. Actually, I think you can even just turn off itch's cut entirely. I could Hmm. be misremembering that, but I don't know. I, I like the site, so I give them a cut for sure. Now, in the realm of podcasting, have you felt any desire to return to the field since the end of We Should Be Friends? Oh, I've thought about it a few times. There is going to be a point where Arda and I were going to start a version of the podcast with, like, just us. It didn't really end up getting off the ground. Uh, A lot of it was just a time thing. And there's also the aspect of it, like I just said, I don't know. I'm a pretty private person. (laughs) Hmm. And I also have a lot of stuff going on. So do I want to make the time to unleash myself onto the world? I mean, I realize I'm on this podcast, so it's already Mm -hmm. too late. Podcasts are so weird because I feel like anything I would want to make a podcast about, people who would want to listen to the topic are already familiar enough with the topic that they wouldn't get anything out of hearing me talk about it. Mm. But that is probably completely irrational. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of information bias, assuming everyone already knows what you do. And yeah, I'm very guilty of that. (laughs) Now, the last episode of We Should Be Friends was an episode that was dedicated to you and your comics, which really threw me for a loop when listening to it, because I was like, wait, which one is Emma? And is she talking about herself in the third person? It wasn't until the end when they mentioned that this was going to be a surprise for you. They're oh, okay, none of them are Emma. This makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I- I'm curious what your reaction was like when that episode was published. So it was actually like a birthday present. Aw. And it was, it was really sweet, because I... I don't remember quite the timeline. It was definitely at a point where I had a lot less self-confidence in my own work. So it was nice just having a bunch of people I love and respect singing the praises of the stuff that I've done. And I mean, I still regularly feel like a fraud, but I have to concede that, you know, at this point, it's probably not true. You just need a scientist in your corner that thinks you're the greatest person on the planet to help you deal with that imposter syndrome. No, I already got a good not scientist. I'm not going to just talk about my girlfriend all the time. (laughs) Damn, she's good, though. She's a game developer, not a scientist. Mm, Game development's a kind of science, right? (laughs) It's definitely a science. Sure, I'll give it to her. Now, you had mentioned more science fiction work on the horizon for you in the future. 
What can you tell us about the future of your comics and what this next book might look like? I actually am currently in talks with someone to maybe print the next one. So I don't know if I'm like allowed to talk about anything mm. in specific, but I have like four different scripts about clones in various capacities and just exploring that from a few different angles. The one I'm working on right now is really fun. It's the kind of thing where even if I wanted to say whatever about it, I don't think I want to ruin it yet. I already spoiled another LSBM book that I'm probably never going to make, so I'm going to be very aloof and mysterious. All right, but we're making the hop from mechs to clones, and I'm really excited to see what you do with it, because this was a really fun romp and something I haven't seen before with mechs, and... I'm hoping you do something similar with clones. Oh, thank you. Now, to wrap up, I like to ask just one little fun question of the week at the end of every episode. What I've got for you today in the spirit of LSBN is, what giant robot do you think is best used for sexy antics with your crush? Oh, this is interesting. Okay. Um, are we Are we talking two people in different robots? Or two people in the same robot? Most likely two people in the same robot. Okay, okay. Uh, Shipping giant mechs, that's a totally different discussion that we'd have to do a whole episode to cover. Yeah, we, we don't want to do that topic a disservice by shoving it in at the end. That's mm-hmm. That would be crass. <laughs> the problem with mechs is that they always seem pretty cramped. Actually, that could be an asset. You kind of have to be on top of each other. Like, I think Tank Pacific Rim is the only one that comes to mind where, like, mm. there's space in there. You can have fun with it. And, like, there's already a bit of sexual tension for that. Like, you're, you you do a mind meld to drive those robots together. So, yeah, I mean, I think Pacific Rim's the obvious choice. Yeah. Anything else uh, outside of your social media? Anything people should be keeping a lookout for from you in the near future or anywhere I should be steering our listeners? So, ooh, this isn't really specifically about me, but the second issue of Queer Romance Anthology called The Torah is going to be debuting at the Small Press Expo in Bethesda, Maryland in September. I think it's September 9th and 10th. Uh, The second issue is coming out... Uh, it's an anthology. I had a comic in the first issue, and the lineup is completely stacked, but I'm very biased because everyone in it, most people in it are some very good friends of mine and some incredibly, incredibly talented artists. Uh, I actually do have a sci-fi lesbian comic in the first issue. Totally forgot about that. So this is about me. Thank you again, Emma, for taking the time to come on the show. And I'm really excited to see what you have in store for us with your next comic. Well, thanks for having me on. This is fun. My pleasure. If the listeners at home have requests or recommendations for comics or creators you'd like us to cover in the future, you can send them our way on social media. You can find us on the Transcending Comics Facebook page, on Twitter as at Transcend Comics, or email us at transcendingcomics at gmail.com. We'd like to thank you for giving our podcast a chance and give a special shout out to Ray Day Parade for designing our logo. Our intro and outro songs are Disco and Gok 6, both by Ingrid Lilskow. You can follow her on SoundCloud. 
Join us again next week as we continue transcending boundaries and exploring the colorful world of trans, non-binary, and genderqueer representation in comic books of all kinds. As the curtains fall on this episode of Transcending Comics, remember that comics have the power to inspire change in countless worlds, including our own. Keep reading, keep writing, and keep transcending. 